All right. Um, good morning again. Hopefully, um, you may have enjoyed some of those songs, um, as well as the little image that I put up there. Um, I've been kind of working with some of those this week and just a little insertion of my silly personality. Uh, so, but nevertheless, uh, we'll go ahead and get started with today's lesson. So, just as a Okay. Um, just as a way of review, which is normally what we start off with, we have um, introduction. Um, I always try to take a moment to just think about what we discussed from last Sunday and this Sunday. It's amazing sometimes how if you're not taking time to look at um, like notes or, or review the lesson through the week, it's, it's easy how things can kind of slip away from you, you know. Don't think that that just happens with you all. Um, that happens with me also a lot, <laughs> uh, especially with a lot of things going on, whether it's work or kids or news or media or anything that you have. I, I definitely understand those times where you know your thoughts kind of slip away. Nevertheless, uh, nevertheless, we will get into um, today's. Um, lesson here. All right, so a couple of things. So we're on the ministry of John the Baptist. Um, you may be thinking to yourself, and it's okay if you be honest, you may be thinking to yourself, oh man, we've been at John the Baptist for a long time, um, Robert. <laughs> uh, trust me, I know. Um, when we're out of John the Baptist ministry, we will be out. And we will visit him one more time um, as he makes his uh, probably two more times later on through the ministry of Christ. One, if you remember, when he actually sends his people to ask Jesus questions when he was locked in prison. And then the second one would be when he actually is beheaded. Um, and executed, but we'll get to that a lot later. That's some, that's like another year or so in the ministry of Jesus uh, Christ. However, this is this is part nine. Um, this is really kind of where we're going to conclude because next Sunday and the Sunday after, we will begin to follow. Christ through his ministry. Right now we're really kind of tracking some things that's happened with John while he's out at the wilderness. Then we'll begin to actually track and follow Jesus Christ. Um, so we'll see that there. Um, first, before we actually get into it, um, let us take some time to, to kind of discuss what happened last Sunday. So if you remember, John the Baptist still at the wilderness. He is where God wants him to be. And I want to point that out because the question that I will pose today to you all is, are you where God wants you to be? That may not be literally. That may be figuratively. But what I mean by that is I'm not necessarily just speaking of location, um, but I mean in relationships um, with people, um, where you're supposed to be in your mind, and your thoughts, and your plans. All of those things. Are we where God wants us to be? What I love about God, 
uh, among many things, is the fact that God lets us know. He lets us know when we're where he wants us to be, and he lets us know when we're not. The problem is sometimes when he lets us know when we're not where we're supposed to be, we fight against that because we really want to be there. Whether that it, it, it looks a certain way. I think about the, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, Lot chose that area because it looked good to the eye, but it wasn't good for him and his family, right? Um, so sometimes we may look at situations, circumstances, places, relationships with people, we might say, it's good if I be in that relationship or in that location, but that may not be where God wants us to be. That's why we always want to pray that God's Holy Spirit leads us and guides us. So that way we know that we are where he wants us to be. And we're going to be taken care of. We'll be safe. We'll be secure. We'll be provided for. But that's by God's leading. We can't lead ourselves to the right spot. We'll always lead ourselves to the wrong spot. So John is led into this wilderness by God. He's sent by God to be in a location for God. As he's out there, he's baptizing. People are coming by droves. Everyone's coming out. Uh, I've used that term everywhere, everyone loosely, but many people are coming out to John Baptist to be baptized by him. Jesus comes out to John the Baptist to be baptized by him. Do you remember that one? People are watching John. They're hearing things that he's saying. They're believing. Some are rejecting. More rejecting than believing. But during that time, we had religious leaders that were coming out. They were actually sent out to John the Baptist, if you remember from last week. And in the midst, in the midst of those religious leaders were some Pharisees that began to interrogate and ask some questions, formal type of accusations and questioning with John the Baptist. What are you doing out here? Why are you? Who sent you? What are you here for? What's going on? They wanted John to give an answer. But they expected John's answer to be reflective of their internal thoughts and motivation, meaning they wanted John to respond with the way of bringing attention to himself, like the religious leaders tended to do at that day, whether they were praying on a corner or they were giving alms or whatever, they were doing it for the attention of others. These were the Pharisees. These were the hypocrites. These were those that pretended to be a certain way on the outside but on the inside, they were different. So this is where they are with John's question. However, John says, I'm sent by God. He always put it back on God. He never talked, he always put it back on God. I'm sent by God. I'm talking about the one that's coming. The focus is not on me. It's on Jesus. We have to make sure everything comes out of our mouth is a reflection of Jesus Christ and focuses on him and not ourselves. So this is where they were last week. So they questioned what all type of things, but he always responded, I'm just a voice. I'm just used by God. I'm just a vessel. I'm here for his purpose. I'm not here for my purpose. Please understand that it's about Jesus. It's about the Messiah. It's about the one that's coming. So with that being said, that moves us into our next portion of discussion, which is actually a lesson. A lesson will come from six verses here. Um, and that's John chapter 1, 29 through 34. And this will sound like a, a 
a summary type of passage, a synopsis type of passage, but there's really portions of it that we must remember about what's going on there in this unique and important portion of Christ's ministry, specifically in the association with John the Baptist. And here's the text. I'm going to just read the whole thing um, to you. Um, and then we'll get into it verse by verse like we typically do. John chapter 129-34 says, The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, but he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon me. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him. This is the one who baptizes in the Spirit, in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. That's John chapter 1, 29 through 34. So, if you look in this first chapter of John, you see a, like a four-day progression of events. You see an event, you see the next day, like you see at the beginning of this passage, and then in verse 35, you see the next day, and you see the next day. You see a total of four days here. It's almost as if it's like a like a diary. Like, like, like John is recording what happened with John the Baptist over a series of four days. Right, this first day this happened, then the next day this is what happened, then the next day this is what happened, then the next day. Um, I like that option because we get a little bit of a, uh, we get somewhat of a mark, the writer of the Gospel according to Mark, we get a little bit of a mark kind of feel because it's like boom, 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 and it's not skipping a whole, a lot of time in between. This is for a reason, and I hope that as I, as I go through these, you'll be able to see the connection and association between the two. So we had that first day there um, where they were questioning, that was last Sunday, when they were questioning John the Baptist. Who are you? They come from. We have the authority to do this. Give us an answer so we can go back and report it. Then the next day, something very special happens. Something very special happens. The one that John had been, John the Baptist, had been speaking of appears on the scene. In the middle of John preaching and message, Jesus shows up, right? But that's where we are right now. So that's why it says the next day. And if John, the apostle, the writer, this said the next day, then it was the next day. So it says that the next day he saw Jesus coming to him. It says the next day he saw Jesus coming to him. 
It didn't say that the next day saw Jesus walking along the, 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 the side of the Jordan River. It didn't say the next day he saw Jesus walking in the wilderness with like aimlessly without a purpose. Huh? This said the next day he saw Jesus coming to him, walking towards him, walking towards where what it's all about, and that's repentance. <laughs> he was walking towards John who preached repentance. It's almost like Jesus was walking up, providing an opportunity, providing an opportunity. He was coming to the issue of repentance. He was coming to the issue of repentance. It's all about Jesus. It's not about, it wasn't about the water. It wasn't about the wilderness. It wasn't about John. It wasn't about the people. It wasn't about the, the, the ground. It was all about Jesus. Can you imagine how John must have felt when he saw Jesus coming? Now, this was a, for lack of a better word, a little stretch. This was a and I put my four fingers up when I say this, but this was a different Jesus. Not like he, he was the same Jesus, but this was a Jesus after, because remember, where was he coming from? He was coming from being tempted of the devil 40 days. So this was a Jesus with an experience. This is a Jesus with an experience. Not, a, not an experience just from his God, his deity, his godness, if you will, but from being face to face with the devil and being victorious, he comes to John the Baptist. It's almost as if it was Jesus was coming with victory in his hand, right? <laughs> See, that's a good, that's good news for me today. What this is telling me today is Jesus can come into my situation and circumstance with victory. I have the upper hand. I start off with an advantage. It's like playing cards and you got, you know, you got the ace on the joke, you got the advantage. We have the advantage when we have Jesus. Why do we live at times like we are handicapped? Like we're starting off two steps behind when we're really ahead. We have the advantage because we have Jesus, the victorious Jesus, the the victor, the one who overcame and defeated the enemy, Satan, and temptation. Everything that we have to deal with, he overcame and defeated. This was the Jesus that came to John the Baptist. John the Baptist was excited. Can you imagine you talking about something for so long, and then, like, he appears. He appears. You know he appeared before, and he appears again. Right? Remember, John baptized Jesus and then he was gone for 40 days. And then he comes back on the scene. So we have here in our time, we have here like a month and a half. You know, he's preaching Jesus for about a month and a half. He knows that he is to come and manifest himself, which we'll look at later. But the question was when? Like Jesus just disappeared. When would he come back? When would he return? Would it be a year from now, two years, five, ten? So to see Jesus coming 
walking was something that probably made John the Baptist ecstatic, very excited. You should get excited when you see Jesus in a situation. When you can look at your situation and circumstance and see Jesus, it should make you happy because you know you're, you're about to win. If you've been losing, you know you're about to win. If you've been winning, you know the winning will continue because it's Jesus, right? Sometimes we carry around Jesus in our situations and circumstances like we have nothing. We have Jesus. I, it's hard for me to get past verse 29, okay? This is the verse where we are because there's so much that we could really use today. John Baptist was excited when he saw Jesus coming, and it wasn't just coming. He was coming to him. <clears throat> then it reads, the next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You got an exclamation mark. So this is probably not just said in a tone like, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Nah, because it got an exclamation mark. And my son Braxton knows that an exclamation mark means it's excitement, right? There's excitement in your voice. You say it with some passion, some emphasis. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This was a strong proclamation, but a necessary proclamation for where John the Baptist was in the midst of people. When the religious leaders and the Jewish people heard the Lamb of God, he said, stop, behold, stop and look. And I imagine he pointed, stop, look, and pointed at Jesus coming to him and said, behold, the Lamb of God. When the Jews and religious leaders heard the Lamb of God, they knew from Scripture that that meant Lamb of God meant a sacrificial animal. All right? So they knew that John was emphasizing sacrifice. Behold the one who would sacrifice. Behold the one who would be the sacrifice. See, in the ritual practice of the Old Testament, the lamb, there was two things that happened in this sacrifice and ritual. You would slay the lamb and you would sprinkle the blood. It was a slaying sprinkle. Slay and sprinkle, that's what we call it, the slay and sprinkle tree. All right? This was a routine, this was a ritual that they did in the Old Testament. It was slay and sprinkle. All right? However, we must remember that this ritual they did often, year after year after year after year, if you're thinking about Passover lamb, you're thinking year after year after year after year. So what happened was the actual slaying and sprinkling that I referred to never actually took away sin because they had to do it every year. The purpose of it wasn't to take the person's sin away through the ritual act. That wasn't the purpose of it. They had to do it every year. It was a reminder. It was a foreshadowing. God instituted this practice as a foreshadowing of the true lamb who was to come. The Jews were waiting in anticipation for the coming of the true lamb of God. And John the Baptist had the privilege of saying, here he is. Here he is. 
This was John's announcement. It says that, it says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I want to take some time to talk about this, takes away the sin. Um, because there are many different translations. Yours might say bear, which is a closer translation to what this word means in the Greek. Takes away can be a little misleading. Um, but the word in the Greek actually is lift up. So when you think of take away or you think of bear, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, did this by lifting up the sin of the world and bearing it on the cross and taking it away from us. So if you want to have that bear and take away, you got to insert the, the Greek, the true Greek interpretation. It's a lift up. What I like about the writer John is he uses a lot. He uses symbolism a lot. You know, he's light and dark a lot. Um, but what he does use, you see it here with John the Baptist, he uses a lot of dissension, ascension, down, up, down, up. He said, Jesus, he said, God came down. He descended. He'll use ascend. He does that when he's talking about the travels of Jesus going down and up. We see John the Baptist. He said he's a higher rank than I. He's high. I'm low. Right? He uses... He said he saw the spirit descending, right? He uses down, up. He uses this a lot to let us know that there was a separation between God and us. God came down, took our sins, and lifted them up to Jesus on the cross. And then lifted us up so that we could have dominion over or our or um, power over our sin. So there's always a down and there's an up. We are like to, like John the Baptist, we are to get down, low, humble, lift Jesus up. It's always that, that's the key. That might be our thing for this week. Go down, lift Jesus up, down, up, all right? So we see that here in the, in the text. John the Baptist was not saying in this statement and in his preaching that everyone's sins are forgiven. He wasn't saying, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and everyone's sins are forgiven. That's not what John the Baptist really was saying. John the Baptist was not saying that everyone's sins are forgiven, but that Christ's death was great enough in value to pay for the sins of the whole world. However, only those sinners who receive the Lord Jesus as Savior are truly forgiven. Okay? That's important to know. We still have a choice. Choice is actually really important to today's lesson. But God gives choice. God is a fair and just God. We learned that when we talked about his God's attributes and characteristics. He's a fair and just God. He always gives us a fair shape. God is going to do what he does as God. But we have choice. We can reject, we can resist, or we can accept, and we can apply. It's just that simple. Verse 29 is, is great. I really, and I'm, I'm looking at our time, because I've been talking about on verse 29 for about 20 minutes. Verse 29 is the key verse. That's the key verse. This is really the key verse in the whole book of John. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This was, he was fulfilling prophecy of old, old time. And this was a, this was 
in the Greek, this is a something that's happened then for the sake of the rest of time to come. It was something that happened then that had an effect forever. This is the key verse of the gospel right here. And so we don't want to overlook that. This is a this is a good memory verse. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. What makes verse 29 so powerful is three things. I want to note three things right here. And I like three. Not four, two, three. All right. Three things I want to note right here. When we look at Jesus being the true Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world, in contrast to the ritual that was happening over the years, and I already talked about one, but I want to reiterate it because the magnitude of verse 29 is what I'm trying to emphasize. The first thing that's really important to note is that verse 29 emphasized the nature of the victim. I say the nature of the victim. So let's talk about the victim, the Old Testament ritual victim, and let's talk about Jesus. In the Old Testament, Jews, they would sacrifice, I told you, they would sacrifice this man every year after year after year. The lamb had no choice. They just went and grabbed the lamb, cut him over the altar, blood spill, right? The lamb had no choice. This was an irrational sacrifice. But as far as the lamb is concerned, you contrast that with Jesus. He made a choice to come and die for us. He made a choice to come and he voluntarily gave of himself for us. That's why God told Abraham that he would provide in himself the lamb. That's really what it says in the best Hebrew translation. God will provide of himself a sacrifice, right? Jesus voluntarily, this is good news for us, he voluntarily took on flesh. This I don't know why he would want to come and take on this body, but he came and took on this body and everything that was associated with it. Because he loved me? Like, that just don't sound right. I'm not that lovable. But he did it anyway. He did it anyway. He voluntarily sacrificed his life for us. That's the first. So the nature of the victim is important with verse 29. The second thing I want to emphasize is the efficacy or the effectiveness of the actual work in this sacrifice. The efficacy of the work. The effectiveness, if you will, of the sacrifice. Now, the ritual had no effect at all, <laughs> really, if you want to be technical, because they had to do it every year. Like the last year didn't mean anything. They had to continue year after year. They had this reminder, though, of sin. They were reminded every year of sin. They wasn't free of sin. They were reminded of sin. That's what the sacrifice was all about. It was a reminder that you are a sinner and you need a savior. Then comes Jesus. Jesus' work took away, bared, lifted up sin once and for all. You didn't have to do it every year. 
He came once and for all to take away, remove, bear, and lift up the sins of the world and place it into himself on the cross and be judged for it, that we would have the righteousness and the tree of life. Thank God for that sacrifice. That's where I should be, on the cross, because of my sins. The third thing I want to talk about with verse 29 is really its scope. And so I want to talk about the scope of, of the, the operation, the scope of what happened. Remember that the ritual, the Jewish ritual, the sacrifice of the lamb was, was really for the nation of Israel. Right? It was really for the Jewish nation. That's really what it was instituted for the Jewish nation. Jesus came along and died for all nations. He died for all. It didn't just benefit the Jews. He died for all. See, so I would read this sentence that says, Behold, the true voluntary Lamb of God who once and for all took away the sins of all the world. That's how it should be read. Again, behold the voluntary sacrifice of the Lamb of God who took away once and for all the sin of the entire world or all of the world. Jew, Gentile, Hebrew, Greek, rich, poor, young, old, black, white, all so you saw what you saw was with the sacrifice throughout Old Testament history. It, it might have started off with a um, in stages. So you saw like you, early in the Old Testament, you, you had a sacrifice for your own self, like Genesis four, Cain and Abel, you sacrificed for yourself. And then when you moved into Exodus, you saw the Passover, you saw the, the sacrifice there. It was your whole house. Right? You sprinkled the blood on the doorpost, and it was you and your family and then you move into Leviticus when it's instituted to the nation of Israel. So it went from individual to family to nation. Jesus came and it's the entire world. That's good news right there. Um let's go into verse let's go into verse 30 um, here. So just to kind of reiterate there, we had the nature of the victim, which is what I was talking about, we have the efficacy of the work and we have the scope of its operation out there, how it's the entire world, all nations. Um, so going back to the verse, then it says, this is he on behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who is higher, who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. He says, this is he, on behalf of whom I said. Remember, John the Baptist was in the wilderness constantly reminding the people <laughs> of two things. He was constantly reminding the people that they needed, they were sinners and they needed a savior. And he was also constantly reminding the people that he is coming. Prepare the way, he is coming. And I'm sure they came out there every day trying to hear something new, but John the Baptist didn't have a new message. Y'all would 
try to find a different teaching pastor if every Sunday I said the exact same thing? <laughs> I know, all right? Uh, and I repeat myself a lot, I'm sure, you know? Um, I hope you can see some progression and don't kick me to the side, all right? Um, John said the same thing that came out another day. John said, uh, prepare yourself, he's coming. I said, oh, man, it came out next day. Hey, hey, prepare yourself, he's coming. Every time they came out, he said the same thing, all right? John was a one-message kind of guy, all right? But it was a good, strong, deep, theologically. Like, how can you take one message and expound on it in so many different ways? It's fascinating to me. But John also said, after me comes, he said, this is what I was saying, after me comes a man who is who has a greater rank than I, for he existed before me. He is saying, Jesus is greater than I, He's also telling us today, God is greater than we are. All right? God is greater than we are. Isn't this true? You might say, of course it's true. However, why are there times when we don't act like it? There are times when we act like God and us are on the same level. That he's not really greater than us. We're the same. I can do what he does. Call shots, be in charge. The authority, have authority over things. We are finding ourselves many times wanting to be in God's place. Isn't that the same thing that we talked about with Satan? That's the mentality of the enemy. That's the mentality of the devil. We want to be as the most high God. God is greater than us. That's what John the Baptist's message was about. John was saying, Jesus, the one I'm talking about, has a high rank than me. Why? Because he existed before me. He's God. He's greater because he's God. We, we have to remember that. Verse 31 says, I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing water. John says, I came because he sent me to come so that Jesus would be revealed to Israel. Because they were waiting for him. So he came to help reveal the one that they were waiting for. This is good news. This is hope. We need hope. We need this even in our times right now. We need hope. We need to know that there will be a brighter day. Gee, God is coming. God is working something. God is doing some things. It might not look like it right now, but he's coming. That's what John the Baptist's message was. That's a good message for the day. I feel like John the Baptist turned on the news this morning and saw what was going on in our world and preach this message. Jesus is coming. And he's here. He says, I didn't recognize him. That just basically means I didn't know the full magnitude or extent of the Messiah to come. Not that he didn't see him before, he didn't know of Jesus. We know that that's true. That could. But I when I when, he, when Jesus came, John the Baptist saying, when Jesus came to be baptized of me, I saw the Messiah. Kind of see that before. I imagine something you playing in the same neighborhood when we were young or something. Or, <laughs> but I saw the magnitude of the Messiah. I'm seeing heavens opening up and voices. And wow, that's what I saw. That's what he's testifying to. That's why he says I didn't recognize. I didn't recognize him for truly all of who he was. He says so. I came baptized in water. All right. 
He says, John testifies saying, I have seen a spirit. Now he's telling exactly what he saw. He says, I have seen the spirit descending as a dove out of the heaven and remained upon him. And remained upon him. John just did what we are supposed to do. And John just told what he saw. He just told what he saw. He said, I, I'm not going to make up a story right now. You know, sometimes we embellish, right? You know, we'll tell a story, but we, we tell it with a little twist to make ourselves look like we did something. John said, let me just tell you what I saw. I was out there in the wilderness. I baptized him. There was a spirit descending on him, a voice. I, I, I'm just telling you what I saw. The man said, I don't know what, who Jesus is. All I know is I once was blind, but now I see. Let me just tell you what I know. That's it. Today we're supposed to, as we witness, we tell people what we know. If you don't know it, you're not sure about it, don't say it. Because we become stumbling blocks. You tell what you have seen in your life, how God has delivered you in your life, what he has shown you in your life. That's what you tell. Tell your story. John was telling his story. Then it goes on and it says, Again, I did not recognize him, okay? But he who sent me to baptize in water. All right, so he's still saying, I was sent, I was sent. I didn't recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, prior to it happening, he said to me, he upon who you see the spirit descending and remaining upon you, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. So John knew that he would know when those things that the one that sent him said would happen, happen. All right. And so it was at that baptism that Jesus was revealed as the Messiah of God to John. John just followed God's signs. God said, go here. He went here. God said, say this in your message. He said that. God said, you're going to see this. He believed it. And he saw it and accepted it. <laughs> um, it's safe to say he accepted what God revealed to him before he saw it because he was in the right place at the right time saying the right thing. Why does God have to, in our lives, have to show us something before we believe? Why can't we just believe? Why do we have to be like Thomas already? Must we continue to see the nail prints? If it's written in his word, why can't we just accept it and believe? Why are we wanting a new revelation? Uh, something new. The book is, God told John, the apostle, close, shut the book, close the book, it's, it's done. There's no new revelation. That's what the word of God is about. So God sent John. Then God revealed to John through the baptism. So here's the thing. Here's how it looks. God has a plan. And that was God sending John. Right? There's a part of it that we have to do, and that's our obedience. So it's God's plan, right? Plus our obedience really equals the revelation. Like if you want a new revelation, there's no new revelation, but if you want God to reveal his plan to you, you must obey. You must obey. And then the last verse says, 
I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. I have seen, I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. Let me tell you something about this verse here and about the whole book of John. The book of John has two underlying things in it. First, John, the writer of the book of John, the apostle, the disciple, his purpose is to present as many eyewitnesses as he can. That's why he uses court type of terminology, testify uh, and a question. And John, because during this time, people did not believe that Jesus came. When John wrote this book, they didn't believe that John said Jesus came. They didn't believe that. John said, I walked with him. They didn't believe that. John said, I was out there as a disciple of John the Baptist before I became an apostle preaching to the church. They didn't believe that. Because remember, John the, the apostle wrote his book between 85 and 90 AD. This was after Jesus came. This was after the destruction of the temple. <laughs> and he's saying, he's writing this and saying, like, let me give you an eyewitness. So right now he's giving an eyewitness of John the Baptist. He's saying, let me write about this guy here who was out there. I know him personally because I was one of his disciples. All right. And so he's giving that to us. The second thing, other than the eyewitnesses, the second thing that you must remember about the book of John, which is why I love it so much, um, I took the book of John as a, as a course in my seminary when I was working on my master. So I love this Isaiah, Genesis, some of those books that I really got a chance to dig into. But John, the apostle, the writer of the book of John, his focus is right at the end of this verse to present Jesus as the son of God, meaning to present Jesus as God in the flesh. He's presenting Jesus as God. So you're going to see some God things in the book of John that you might not see in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, because that's his intent and that's his purpose. So going back to the text at the very end as I close, John the Baptist is saying, I myself have seen. He's saying, this is not a second-hand, a third-hand account or experience. I saw with my very eyes. I heard, but I saw. All right? And have testified. This is a, I have and will continue to. It's a past, present type of participle. It's a, in the Greek, it's a I said it then, and it continues to be said that this is the Son of God, or this is God the Son. Um, I, I pray, and I'm going to close the screen um, out here um, as I close in. I pray that that we um, in, in closing.